So why don't we, uh, just before we look at this passage, we're going to look at a passage in Colossians chapter 1. But just before that, let me pray. It's a prayer that um, John Stott, I don't know if you know Dr. John Stott. He was a very uh, influential theologian in the UK until he died just a few years ago. And I'm just going to borrow his uh, very simple but very effective prayer. So let's just do that just now before we look at this word. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence and we ask that your word would be our rule and we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and we ask that your glory would be our concern. We all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so I have one or two slides, uh, which I think Josiah is going to help me with today. Um, If you can bring that first one up, Josiah. So I wonder if you can guess some of the common theme or the common theme that runs through all these phrases that you're going to see on the screen in hopefully a second. There's some phrases. Get this working. The first one is going to be, I think, the works that coming up? No? Oh, it is? Okay, I'm looking at that screen. The works, the whole nine yards, the whole kit and caboodle. I'm not really sure what a caboodle is, but if you know, you can tell me afterwards. And all the way, all the way. And if you ever go to Five Guys, you might know something about all the way. Um. But all these phrases mean something, don't they? They all mean something similar. And they all really mean having everything, doesn't it? The full experience. The full experience. That's really what you're getting with these words. You know, and I wonder today how many of you would say that you have the full experience in your Christian lives. Do you ever feel empty or lacking or maybe a bit spiritually dry? Or perhaps you're going through difficulties, maybe sufferings, maybe sin, just a a terrible time of trial. Or maybe just that we don't have the answers in life to the people around us. It makes us feel weak, sometimes powerless, lacking. Or maybe you feel like you lack in your prayer life. I know that I have experienced that sometimes too. You know, maybe for when you're praying for faith, you just don't know what to pray and it's difficult sometimes. You know, we're very good at health and work and studies and relationships and finances. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with praying like that, of course, that we should. Matthew 6, Jesus did that, talked about our daily bread. But just contrast this today, this prayer that we're going to look at in Colossians 1. Paul brings to the church there. And he prays with a very deep concern that these people are not just saved. He doesn't want them to just be saved. He wants them to have the full experience. He wants them to have the works in their Christian lives. So I've entitled the little sermon today, Here for Fullness, for the Full Experience in Our Christian Lives. 
any of the things that I've just described earlier, whether you're feeling lacking or empty or, or not at all today, then it's a prayer that we can pray for others who maybe we know who are. So can you move the next slide, please, uh, Josiah? So we're going to have a look at this passage now. It's Colossians 1, um, chapter 1, and we're going to look from verse 9. If you have that in your Bibles, it might be useful to have it open. So Paul says this in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have Redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul in verse 9 says, From the day we heard about you, we have not ceased to pray for you, that you may be filled, filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now immediately there's a couple of words there, filled and all. And there's a lot of alls. If you read through the passage, a lot of alls there. Filled fool with the knowledge of his will. What does that really mean? Well, the Greek word here for knowledge is gnosis. But the word here is not that. The word here is something even bigger. It's epignosis. And that word epig, you can bring it into your English, epic. You've heard of epic, meaning vast, big, super. And Paul's praying here that they would be filled not with just with knowledge, but with super knowledge. Filled full with the super knowledge of God's will. So what was he praying for and why? Why was he praying this? Well, just to give you a wee bit of background, he was addressing a problem in the church. And some people in the Colossian church with a different kind of teaching Now, we're not really sure exactly what it was all about, but it was a form of Gnosticism. And Gnosis is a Greek word, of course, for special knowledge. And this was a heresy, really. It was a a teaching contrary to the Bible. You know, and there's nothing really new. It was a blend of Greco-Roman influence, mystical paganism, a little bit of Jewish belief all thrown in there, self-denial, a bit of legalism. And really it was saying that to the believers in Colossians that you're lacking. You know, if you believe in Jesus, then you're you're lacking. You don't have a complete spiritual experience unless you get this special knowledge. 
So apparently Jesus wasn't enough. But without going into this in too much detail, Gnosticism would have had a lot of facets, and one of them was this. It was that their body wasn't really important. It was actually evil. So Christ couldn't possibly be God because Christ was obviously in a body. You know, and, and so the body, the material, was evil. What's done in the body, because it doesn't make any difference, it's only the spiritual that matters, and it was all really a convenient way of sinning, really, and justifying their immorality in their lifestyles. So this Gnosticism was a real threat to the church in Paul's day, and it was an attack on the deity of Christ. And really at the heart of it, there was this intellectual elitism. We know better. You know, we, we've got this special knowledge. You don't. So Paul's prayer right at the start here is, at the beginning of this letter, was to counter the Gnostics. He's saying, never mind special knowledge. Be filled with the super knowledge of God. You know, and clearly the, the Colossians did have a lack. They, their lack of knowledge in Christ that was really what was making them susceptible to this false teaching. And Paul's not saying you need any new knowledge or extra knowledge. He's just saying that you need to know the super knowledge. But what is that? If any of you use LinkedIn, I sometimes use LinkedIn. I don't use it very much. But there's a little cap. It's not what you know, it's who you know that counts. And it's a little bit like that here with super knowledge. It's all about knowing Christ. It's all about knowing a person, Jesus Christ. That is this super knowledge of God's will. It's to know Christ. You know, and when we do that, when we know Christ, God's Spirit awakens us. He opens our eyes in faith and we abandon our efforts and we turn in Christ and depend on him. And that's really the starting point for us to develop that spiritual understanding that it's talking about here. But Paul says it gets much better than this. The key part to knowing Christ is this. You know, if, if there's special knowledge, a secret mystery that the, the, the Gnostics are talking about, then Paul presents to them the mystery of gospel. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 27, he says this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the mystery of the gospel. And that is what we are to be filled with. Christ in you. Now, it's not just head knowledge. You know, we have Christ in us, you and I. It's Christ is in us. His Spirit is in us. And this is the great mystery that we are to be filled with. Chapter 2 says this in verse 9. It says, For in Him, that's Jesus, in Jesus, the whole fullness of God dwells bodily. You have been filled with him, and he is the head and the rule of all authority. 
It's God's fullness. God's fullness fills Christ. It's God, it's God in Christ. And it's Christ in you. And I want you to just pause and think about that for a second. Because this is possibly the most remarkable statement that we come across in the world. The greatest mystery that God chooses to dwell in us. You know, and that's our status here. If you're a believer, that is your status here. God's Spirit dwells in you. And it's not a mystery, as these people were wrongly saying, for everyone who puts their faith and trust in Christ. Now that phrase, in Christ, it's a, it's a central theme, if you know Paul's letters and have read them. And it appears 15 times in Colossians. And it appears 84 times in all letters. He's emphasizing over and over again that everything we have is in Christ. And it's worth reading through some of these letters later yourself. But you know, if you come to some of the verses, they talk about being rooted in Christ, built up, filled, raised up. And the message is simple for us today. It's as believers, we have everything we need in Jesus. We lack nothing. We are filled with Christ. And if Christ is the head and the rule of all authority, we don't need to look anywhere else for any other kind of teaching. But you know, the problem is, as Christians, especially even as a mature Christian like myself as well, maybe for some of you, we forget. We forget this, don't we? We need constant reminders. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Just as we were singing a minute ago. We need to be filled with that knowledge every day. Christ in me. Don't know about you, but probably not here, but in the UK it gets very cold and dark. Once we return home, it will start to get very dark and, and, and the light, daylight goes right down to maybe sort of seven, eight hours a day. Very, very dark. And uh, when you get up in the morning, you can't see anything because I don't like to switch the light on in case it got Megan. So you kind of stagger around in the dark a bit, uh, trying to get your way to the bathroom. But you know, and you don't really feel much like Christ is in you at that point. But you know, it would be a wonderful thing to put on your bathroom mirror, wouldn't it? Not I, but Christ. It's a great thing to remind yourself of every day as you're not really feeling in that kind of frame of mind. But it's a wonderful truth. We have everything in Christ. You know, as believers here today, we may not be like the Colossians. We might not be at risk of being led astray by some queer teaching. But we can, you know, forget that Christ is in us. And if that happens, then it leaves us feeling empty and lacking. You know, and we need to pray this prayer, not just for ourselves, but for our families, especially our young people, that they'll be filled full in their Christian lives. You know, we live in a culture today that's awash with anti-gospel philosophy. You know, and we're exposed to it more and more through media and through images, and it fills our lives. 
You know, and it doesn't always come to us in a very brash, bold way. It can come to us very subtly, drip feeding into our lives. And today's secular world is really just Gnosticism in reverse. You know, what the Gnostics said, you know, material is bad. Nowadays, material is, is everything. The material is, is, is everything. And that's what um, our culture says today. So, you know, these kinds of ideals fill our society. And I don't know about you in the USA. I'm not, I'm not qualified enough to speak about the USA, but I can talk about the UK. And the UK has become increasingly secular. It claims to be tolerant of everyone's ideas, but really of the picture and out of the public life and processes of social life. How do you live in a culture like that as a Christian? Well, I think that's why it's essential that we make time to be filled with the knowledge of Christ in you and to rearrange our priorities to be filled with Christ. You know, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently. You know, because I think as Christians, we are very good at making ourselves busy. Have you ever noticed that? Christians are some of the busiest people you will find. You know, and sometimes we think that being busy makes us more important, I think. You know, but God taught man to rest. He actually did. He taught man to rest. He made man on the sixth day. What did he do on the seventh day? Showed man rest. Do no work. And Sabbath means that, doesn't it? It means rest. But you know, even that day, I don't know about you, but some of, some, Sunday can be one of the busiest days of my, my week. Um, and sometimes Christians can get easily burned out and tired. You know, and we can be so, on so many committees, rotas, and all kinds of things. You know, and we think that, oh, I've got to do something else. Well, sometimes God just wants us to rest in Him. You know, if our service for Him becomes drudgery, we maybe need to stop and think, do I need to rest in Him? Now, I'm not suggesting that you resign from any rotas or anything, but we do need to think about, you know, spending time and being filled with Christ. Remember, Jesus went to the solitary places, didn't he? To rest. Didn't go for their Bible study. He went there to pray. Went there to rest. And it was rest. I mean, people went into that ark. Not many of them. But they went in to rest. To find rest for their souls. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate rest for our souls. But you know, this is not something we do on our own. Being filled with Christ is not something we do on our own. We do it collectively with other people. Paul tells us that. You know, let the word dwell in you richly that you share and teach each other with hymns and songs. You know, these are vital times we're doing today. Home groups, prayer meetings, great ways to rest together in Christ. Paul said, Jesus is the head. He's the head of the church. He's the head of the body of Christ. How can we really know the head and be filled with Christ we're not really part, really work. So, have a think, maybe.
have a ponder about what we can do to just maybe rest, to be filled with Christ this week. To stop. You know, to pray and to, and to just listen. You know, and if, if Christ, if that phrase, Christ in you, is, if that truly is the hope of glory, then why, why should we give anything else priority in our lives? Why should we let other things fill us? Things that are just dross by comparison. Paul says in Philippians, he says, he counts everything else absolutely worthless compared to what? Compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ. Count everything else garbage so that he can gain Christ. You've got to be aware or beware of anything that sidelines Christ in our lives, that removes him from the center. Later on in the passage, in the verses after that I've just read today, in verse 15, it talks about Christ being supreme, or Christ being preeminent. And that means he's first, doesn't it? He's first. He's the first priority in our lives, first in our marriage, first in our relationships, first in our children's lives, in our grandchildren, in our career, in our ministry even, in our finances. Christ is first and we're to keep him front and center in our lives that is how we have the full experience in our Christian lives you know that is how we have full freedom in a way that nothing else will so if you want the full experience that we were talking about then we have to be filled with Christ in you that super knowledge Keep him front and center. Now the rest of the verses here, 10 to 14, there are four marks, if you like, four results that come when we are filled with the knowledge of Christ. We're going to have a look at these very briefly. I'm not going to go. But it says here in verse 10, be filled with the knowledge of Christ in you. This is the result. So as, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. You know, and as Christians, sometimes we have a very low self-esteem, don't we? And we're prone to see our sinfulness. You know, and the question of, am I pleasing to God, isn't really something that we tend to think about, is it? But Paul reminds us here that we actually bring great pleasure to God. You know, and this is, this is quite astonishing that I bring God delight. And it's much better than that. It's not just he likes us. <laughs> it says we're fully pleasing. You know, how can that be? Of course, Hebrews reminds us that without faith, we can't please God. It's impossible. Nothing else is required. It's only faith-centered in Christ. And it's amazing to start each day knowing that the only eyes in the whole universe that matter delight in you. Isn't that amazing? 
I mean, it doesn't depend on my performance that day. It's all because of your faith centered in Christ. You know, and faith is not, it's not a static thing. It's a dynamic thing. And that's why this word here, walk, here is a, is a very dynamic kind of sign of our faith. Faith is something that we do. Walking is something that we do essentially every day. You know, to walk worthy of God, how do we really do that? Well, it's, it's, it's about being balanced. It's about not getting lost, not falling off the, the path. And it's a bit like what Psalm 1 says. You know, Psalm 1 talks about the, the walk of the righteous. You know, the walk, the person who is righteous walks in God's counsel. He delights in God's word. He meditates on it. You know, and to have the full experience of our Christian lives, we must be walking with God each day and bringing him into our daily activities. And that's a good way of of walking with God every day, bringing him straight into where you are and whatever you're doing every day. And if we do that, that gives us, it must give us the fullest experience of joy, knowing that God is pleased with us. Second thing is fruitful. Of course, evidence of being rooted in Christ is fruitfulness. You know, and the key indicator is that we're going to bear fruit you know, we'll have a capacity in us for forgiveness, forgiving others, for unity, for peace. And all of that comes from love, doesn't it? 1 John 4 says this, He who loves knows God. Anyone who doesn't love does not know God, because God is love. And the fruit of love comes from knowing God, being filled with that knowledge of Christ that we were talking about. Of course, fruitfulness extends way beyond our church walls, doesn't it, to loving others with the gospel. And as I thought of that, I was reminded of the very first person I ever met, or I didn't quite meet him, but I saw him from North Carolina, the very first person I ever saw from North Carolina. I was 12 years old. I was in Scotland, where I come from. And I was struck by this man's message. It's very straightforward. There's three words. He said, God loves you. God loves you. That was his three words he came with. He came all the way from North Carolina to Aberdeen to deliver that. And this man was Billy Graham. You know, and I remember thinking to myself, wow, I was actually quite touched. And I still am today to think of him coming all that way to share these three words with people in my city. And why did he do that? Because of his knowledge of Christ. That was the motivation that did that, brought him all that way. A person who knows God loves, loves others and wants others to know that gospel. You know, and the person who, who is like that, who's in Christ, never lacks purpose in life, do they? You ever notice that? But they become full participators in God's greatest work that we can do, sharing the gospel. 
The next one is full power. Full power. It says here that we are strengthened with all power. The person who is in Christ is strengthened with all power. According to his glorious might for all endurance, patience and joy. Now if we are filled with Christ, it means like be like plugging in to a no? And there's two ways that that is kind of evident in our lives. And the first one is a power over sin. You know, and the greatest power that we have uh, in Christ is that we are free from the slavery of sin. Paul uses this, by the way, as a very strong evidence to the Gnostics that they were wrong and that he was right. He says this in chapter 2 of Colossians, verse 23. He says this, um, that the that this teaching, he calls it, this teaching, Gnosticism, has the appearance of wisdom. But he said it has no power to stop the indulgence of the flesh. And there's no power over sin. It's only in Christ that we have the power to fight against sin and temptation. And I'm sure we've all experienced that at some point in our lives, that ongoing fight with sin. And I want to encourage anyone, if they are feeling weakened by that, you know, by a repetitive sin, a habitual sin that just keeps getting the better of And the encouragement here from Paul is that we have access to power. And you'll know that verse in 1 Corinthians 10 that talks about no temptation has overtaken you. That is already common to us all. God is faithful. He will... If we ask him, he will break the chains of that sin. And the second power here that we see is over suffering. Paul says that all the spiritual energy and power that raised Christ from the dead is available to me. So Paul said, I struggle, he says, with all the energy Christ has given me. Now Paul had his fair share of trials. And I know that we all do. Maybe not quite like his. You know, and we don't just endure these, you know, like a stoic, someone who grits their teeth and just gets through. We don't just do that. Nor do we, it's kind of going the other way, is being a, like a, what they call a masochist, someone who enjoys or tries to enjoy the suffering. You know, but God's power of suffering strengthens us wait patiently to rest even through the hard trials you know in the non-believer and you know the secularist people that I kind of come in contact with quite a lot pain and suffering for them are meaningless they're, they're pointless they've got no purpose at all they can't answer anything about why they're suffering anything of course, the person in Christ knows that the pain that Christ bore, the suffering that he bore, gave us the greatest comfort and hope. You know, and even through this whole suffering for the believer, there's patient endurance, and there's something bizarre, there's something called joy here. You know, and this is something that the non-believer 
finds ridiculous. How on earth can someone be joyful in trial? Yet some of the most joyful people I've ever met, some of the most joyful Christians I've ever known, are those who have suffered the most. Have you ever noticed that? Why is that? Because they have centered themselves in Christ. You know, and we might not be able to rejoice in anything here today. I don't know what your situation is, but there might be no reason to rejoice in anything. But only to rejoice in Christ. And if we do that, the joy of the Lord, won't it? Lastly, fully secure. You know, after Paul speaks about enduring with joy, he then says, giving thanks, giving thanks to God. And he's giving thanks, or we're giving thanks, the man who's, or the person who's in Christ, because we are in the knowledge that we are fully secure. Fully secure. And I've picked out three things here that follow in these verses, 12 to 14. You know, and if life is full of what-ifs for us, you know, if we live on a, because we do, we worry, you know, the human nature is to worry. You know, and if we think, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if I don't have this or don't have that or don't have enough or if it runs out or if it leaves me or I lose it or it fails? These are all the what-ifs of life, aren't they? But Paul's not speaking about what ifs in verse 12 to 14. He's speaking about what is. This is. And these three things are sound quite dry when you read them. But they're the absolute essence of what it is God has given us. The wonderful status that we have here if we're in Christ. I want to go through these really quickly. First, qualified you are fully qualified it sounds very boring doesn't it but it's nothing like our our understanding to be qualified means that we are a child of god loved not a second class citizen but someone who's qualified to share in the eternal inheritance not at some future point but it's now we are now heirs with Christ all the conditions have been met already you know when Paul does warn the Colossians he says let no one disqualify you you've been qualified let no one disqualify you in other words don't let someone tell you something else that you need some other knowledge you don't it's justified by grace through faith in Christ alone. Christ is the substance of that qualification. Second thing is positioned. You're fully positioned. Fully qualified, fully positioned. And it really just means that as believers, our location has changed. Your location has changed. You're transferred from Satan's kingdom of darkness and the shadows of doubt and brought into the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. Fully qualified, repositioned. And lastly, and I think 
the back fully covered. Sin is fully covered. We have redemption, he says, the forgiveness of sins. Now, of course, redemption just means that the debt of sin has been fully paid. Now, verse 14 is vital here. Vital for us to know the fullness of our salvation. It doesn't just mean that the slate is wiped clean, you know. All the stuff's been wiped out. It doesn't mean just that. It it does mean that, but it's not just that. Because if it just meant that, it would devalue the fullness of God's forgiveness. Because sin is always a power, isn't it? It's always there trying to pull us. But Paul's teaching on forgiveness includes breaking that power. You know, it would, be, it would be inconceivable for God to just forgive the past sins, you know, wipe the slate clean, and then send us back to do the exact same thing all over again. But he doesn't. He gives us the ability to live a new life. You know, it, it, if it was like the other way, it would be pardon without deliverance, useless. But the gospel gives us full deliverance, full freedom because of this wonderful statement, the forgiveness of sins, sins past, present, and future, all forgiven. So that full experience of forgiveness comes where? comes from the cross. It comes from Christ who fully met that debt of sin, defeated our enemy, and released us from that power of sin. I struggle sometimes to to talk about righteousness to people. I I used to speak a lot to Chinese people. I always had a problem telling them about righteousness. And I've got a slide that Josiah's going to switch on for me. And this is the Chinese word for righteousness, by the way. I know maybe some of you may have known that uh, already. Um, But you know, the word here, I think, is, is amazing. The Chinese word for righteousness. Because what it does is it, the bottom is me. That's what it says, me. And the top is a lamb. Isn't that interesting? A lamb above me. And when I found that out, I thought, well, you know, trying to explain this to Chinese is much easier now. That righteousness really means that the God, Jesus, has His righteousness covers us. He is the Lamb of God. He's the one who's sacrificed. His righteousness covers me. And that's where we are today. Now all these blessings I've talked about today, all these things are already yours if you are a believer. They're not really ones that we're to pray for, these three that we've talked about. Qualified, positioned, covered. We already have these. We have to pray for them. We just need to be thankful to God for them. So as I close, I wonder if you're feeling full now, if you've had the the fullness in this prayer. Paul just wanted us to get the message. As believers, you, you lack nothing. Whoever you are, whatever you are, Christ is all. He is all. Know him and that full fully pleasing, fruitful, you'll experience his power and you'll be thankful for the wonderful future 
that all believers have. You know, we are to, I think, preach these things to ourselves every day. Speak them into our life. And I think we'll be then filled with that wonderful super knowledge of Christ. Let's pray together.